Good morning, Woodland Hills. Local congregation, pod congregation. Really good to, to be experiencing this moment with, with all of you. And uh, it's good to see more folks coming back. It's uh, got a little more of a crowd here. It's nice. That's ready to go. Let's pray that this Omicron nonsense continues to... It doesn't come back, all right? Just hold on to our victory here. Uh, those of you who have uh, sacrificed something uh, during Lent, hang in there. I've got a couple more weeks and we're done. Hallelujah. So you sufferers, you're, you shall be rewarded. So hang tight. Uh, I want to, before I get into my message, um, just give you a little update. We've had a lot of updates here today. Um, but uh, as you know, we've had some connections with some folks in, in the Ukraine and uh, uh, have been in contact with them. Olga uh, has given us an update. This is from three days ago. But uh, she says this, my husband is doing okay. You remember Olga, is, she was from Kiev and uh, she's now in Poland with her two daughters and her husband's still back in Ukraine fighting. She says, my husband is doing okay trying to help with whatever he can in Ukraine. Uh, we can communicate, and it is a big blessing. Some other family members and friends are still in heavily shelled cities, such as Kharkiv, or uh, Cherniv, and Kiev. Kiev, my hometown, and the, the capital. I always thought it was Kiev, but they're saying it's Kiev now. All right, Kiev, we'll go with Kiev. Uh, my hometown and, and the capital of Ukraine is being protected as strongly as, as possible, but the Russians are still managing to, to kill people there. Now, we know that since then, uh, Kiev has been totally liberated, so praise God for that. There's no more uh, bombing going on there. Yeah. But she says the situation is not looking good. There's so much evil taking place in the Ukraine. Please continue to pray for peace in the Ukraine and stand in the gap for the Lord's victory in this inhumane war. And we will do that, Olga. We have been doing that. And, Covenant of Thieves to continue to do that. Uh, also, uh, Vadim, who uh, heads up the Our Legacy Ministry, and some of you contributed to that several weeks ago, uh, they've turned their whole ministry into a kind of a refugee ministry, and they're taking in refugees and, and, and who are on their way out. And uh, so they continue to minister to 20 to 30 people usually, uh, or families per night. So keep them in prayer, and um, uh, yeah, just, just, in fact, I'd like us all here, if we could, to uh, first pray the Our Father. And then I'll lead us in a brief prayer on behalf of the, the folks in the Ukraine, okay? So if, if you're able, would you stand with me here? And if you're at home, feel free to stand as well. Posture matters and things, if you're able. And let's pray this prayer together, the Our Father. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. And Father, I, on behalf of all of us, uh, I thank you for the privilege that we have as your people to come before you in prayer. For the say-so you've given to us individually and collectively, and we want to use that say-so, the say-so of, of, of empowered prayer, on behalf of our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine. And we thank you, God, that Olga is safe and that Vadim and his crew is carrying out this ministry, and we pray that continues. And we pray, Lord, we're thankful, Lord God, we know you're already working in there, and that we're thankful that there has been more killing than there already has been, and that Russia has not been successful so far. And Lord, we join with you in grieving for the senseless loss of life on both the side of the Ukrainians and the Russians. The soldiers, the Russian army, our kids, and don't have a clue what they're doing. We grieve with you on behalf of all of them. 
And Lord, we use the say-so that you've given us in the power of prayer to release from heaven a, a power to bring about your will in the Ukraine as it is in heaven. A power, Lord God, to... Uh, Move in people's hearts, move in Putin's heart if it's, if it's at all possible. To find an opening, a crack, to push him in, influence him in the direction of peace, in the direction of compassion. And free him from the strong delusion that he's been under. He and his counsel have been under. Open their eyes. And Lord, release the power that can maximize peace and minimize the violence. And bring as quickly as possible an end to this senseless war. We pray on behalf of all the folks involved and who are suffering as a result of this. We pray for them in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Okay, I, I'm going to uh, teach from the same verses I taught from last week. Um, in fact, the first part of my message will be the same message I gave last week. Because, frankly... I really felt like the Lord was saying, hit him again. <laughs> this is, I, as I shared, this is a message that it just, it, it felt very, it's got a gravitas to it that we need to be paying attention to. So here, here, here are the verses. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21 and verse 24. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. Every treasure on earth is always under threat. You can lose it at any time. That's why you got to worry about it, cling to it. And you know that it eventually will fade. Every treasure on earth, the moth will eventually corrupt it. The rust will consume it. The thieves will steal it. So instead of storing up treasures there, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, which neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves cannot break in and steal. Lay up for your treasure in heaven that will never fade away. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. And then he goes on in verse 24 to say, No one can serve two masters. Either they end up hating the one and loving the other, or they're devoted to the one and despise or reject the other. You simply cannot serve God and mammon. All right. So, we saw last week that, that the New Testament has got a lot of warnings about the dangers of wealth, the dangers of mammon. Um, Jesus flat out said it's hard for, the wealth, for wealthy people to get into the kingdom of God. It's very hard. And so, as I noted last week, if this applies to anyone, it applies to us. Because most of us, by historic standards and by global standards, are very rich. We've got comforts and conveniences that ancient kings and pharaohs never dreamed of. We're wealthy. And, and so we've got to know that this is applying to us. So last week in the Jewish Christian tradition that mammon came to be identified as the name of a deity. Sometimes identified with Satan himself. But certainly a principality in power. A strong deity who uses wealth to corrupt people and to corrupt society. And whether Jesus held that view or not, he certainly is saying that there is a demonic pull to wealth, a demonic pull to mammon. It competes with God for our devotion. And when you think devotion, don't think about a praise worship service. Devotion is simply what you're devoted to. And you know what you're devoted to by what, what your mind is on and where your heart is on, where your heart's located. Um, what you pour your time and your energy into. What, what captures your life. What is it that feeds you? That's 
your treasure. And, and, and that's what you'll be devoted to. And where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. It's like our treasure, whatever you hold dear, whatever's the most valuable thing that makes your life worth living, well, it's like a magnet. And it subtly pulls your heart and your mind, your thoughts, and then your actions, pulls in, 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 the, in the direction of devotion. And if we're not careful, if we're not guarding against it, we get sucked into it. And once we get sucked into this mammon, this devotion towards mammon, um, well, there's a general discontent that, that arises in us. And we find that we start to look at the things of this world as a way of feeding that discontent, of trying to find a, a more satisfying life. If we're not guarding against mammon, we find ourselves reduced to being lab rats on a treadmill chasing the ever-elusive dream of our, our best life now. Trying to have our best life now. And then we end up competing with everybody else for our best life now. This is, this is the mammon game that I spoke of last week. The mammon game. It's life as a feeding frenzy. People competing with one another, all trying to have their best life now. The most satisfying life now. Hungry for the better and the prettier. and the, Always looking for the way, how can I improve my lot and improve the lot of, of, of those that I, I love. You, only, you, got, you got to lose yourself in the moment, you see. You got to own it. You only got one shot. Do not miss this chance to glow. You only got one opportunity in this lifetime, yo. Or did it go something like that? It's, you got one shot. You got to grab it now. You don't want to miss out. This is it. Life turns into a, a, a feeding frenzy where everyone's chasing to have their best life now, their reward, their treasure now. And the trouble is if your life is spent, if your heart is in the treasure in, in the here and now where moth and rust can corrupt and where death is certainly going to take it all away, well, then you're not storing up for yourself treasure in heaven. Now, of course, it's, it's okay to want to have things as good as possible for you and for your loved ones. That's a natural thing. But the question is, what's your highest devotion? What is it that drives your life? What consumes your mind? Where is your treasure? And where your treasure is, that's where you're going to find your time and energy and thought and emotions being poured into it. And what makes it so important, as I said last week, is that the reality is we will all give an account before God. Um, we will answer for the life that we have lived. We appear before the judgment seat of Christ, as Paul says in Romans 14.10, 1 Corinthians 5. We all will do that. And it's not a question of salvation, it's a question of what have we done with our salvation. Paul tells us that in 1 Corinthians 3, we saw it last week, that we, the foundation is Jesus Christ. And that's given to you for free, and that's by grace, and you enter it through faith alone. See, but God also, by his grace, wants us, empowers us to now build on that foundation, to partner with God and, and, and building something, and what we build is our life. We build a certain character with that life, and we're building it with every choice that we make. We move our life in the, down in a certain direction. And the judgment day, for Paul, is simply the day of truth. It's the day where all pretense is, 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 is done away with, all subterfuge is done away with, and now reality appears. And so the real us comes into the presence of the real God. And since in the kingdom, when the kingdom comes in fullness, um, there can be nothing that is inconsistent with the love of God because all of creation, every square inch, praise God, is going to reflect the beauty of the triune God and will be participating in and dancing in the beauty of the triune God. And so, to that end, God's love has got to purge us of everything in our life that is not consistent with the kingdom. And so, we come into the reality of God's love. And that love, out of love, 
God purifies whatever can be purified. Whatever we've built that is potentially consistent with the character of Christ, it gets purified. Uh, it, it, it's, it shows itself to be gold and silver and precious stones, things that are refined by the fire. God's, God's love will refine us. And to the degree that we've built things that are not consistent with the character of God, because of the constant choices that we've made and the habits that we've developed and the character that we formed, well, that's got to be burned up. Like dross has got to be burned up. And to the degree that what we built comes out as silver, gold, and precious stone, that is our reward. And to the degree that what we have is wood, hay, and stubble that gets burned up in the fire of God's love, well, that is our loss. It means that our choices matter. If there was no consequences for choices, then choices wouldn't make any difference at all. Life wouldn't be a serious thing at all. But there are. The New Testament is always telling us to be living with a view towards that day. What do you want to present on that day? It especially matters the choices we make in general, but especially the choices we make about mammon. And you find that throughout the New Testament as well. Um, that's why Jesus, we saw this in that weird parable that we talked about last week, uh, the parable of the dishonest manager who made friends, uh, you know, by, by cutting deals, dishonest deals with these people so that when he, his boss fired him for being dishonest, he'd have some place to go. And Jesus says, hey, that guy was smart. He was shrewd. He thought ahead. You guys should think ahead. How come the children of this world, they think ahead and, and, and plan for their retirement? You guys know that you're going to be living forever, but you don't plan for it. And so he says this uh, in, in 16 he says, make friends, this is the punchline, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth. That's that word mammon, same word. So that when it is gone, they may welcome you into their eternal homes. Saying, take this, this mammon, which can be so contaminating, it can, it, it can suck you in, but now use it for kingdom purposes. Use it in a way that makes friends with God, makes friends with the creator. Use it in a way. That reflects the, the, the character of, 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 of God. Use it in self-sacrificial ways, ways that benefit others, ways that further the kingdom. And see, now you're laying up treasures in heaven because now you're pushing your character in a kingdom direction. You're cultivating the kind of character that will be compatible with God on that day. But we got to be careful because mammon is a subtle beast. It sucks us in and we don't even know it. And if ever there's been a people in history that need to be on our guard about this, it's us. Especially because... We in Western culture, as I said last week, we're bombarded with six to 10,000 advertisements every day. That's what the average person sees. And every one of those are designed to plant a little seed of discontentment. Um, we've got to be on our guard about this because we know that if ever people in history would not notice that they are entrapped to mammon, it would be us. And so Lord, wake us up. Lord, wake us up. Help us to see things as they truly are. Help us to assess our lives as they truly are. Help us to get honest with this. And help us to be free. So the all-important question, folks, is how do we stay out of the mammon game? In fact, uh, that's the title of this message, is opting out of the mammon game. How do we opt out of this game, this feeding frenzy? And I want to begin just by noting this. The whole thing runs on discontentment. If you don't have discontentment, mammon can't do a thing. It's fueled by discontentment, and the discontentment is usually fueled by a lie. Like many truths of the Bible, you find this profoundly illustrated in the story of Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. 
God creates Adam and Eve, puts them in the garden. Everything's going wonderful. Everything's fine. They walk with God in the cool of the day, which uh, in, in the Mediterranean world, the cool of the day just means the best part of the day. This is we want to, You want to hang out with friends when the sun's going down, it's getting cool. So the best part of the day is spent taking a walk with Yahweh. And things are fine. They're content with that until the serpent shows up. And the serpent basically says, Eve, are you, you, you down with this arrangement here? <laughs> uh, you know, you... You go for a walk with God the cool of the day. woo What are you, some kind of household pet? You could do better, Eve. And then comes the first, the first advertisement. Um, got a picture like Don Draper on Mad Men saying, Eve, imagine this. Just imagine. Take a look at this tree. It is good to the eye. It's good to taste. And it can give you the pride of life. Don't settle for being a household pet. You can eat that tree with the knowledge of good and evil. And then you become wise like God. Why be a pet when you can be judge of the universe? Oh, check it out, Eve. And as Eve begins to look at this, begins to entertain this possibility, see, that's where sin originates, is when we begin to define our own reality over against God's reality. Hmm, maybe this is what's real. And so you start to go down this route. And uh, she succumbs. She's, she's seduced into it. So she eats from the tree. And uh, it's all about, you can do better, Eve. You only got one shot. You, you got to grab it right now. You can move up in this world. So Eve begins to consider this. It's a lie, but she's sucked into it. And the minute Eve begins to consider, I could do better, there's an element of discontentment in her. For the first time, she experiences some discontentment because she doesn't have what she's imagining. And that's the serpent strike. Imagine this. Be dissatisfied with this because you could have more. You could have it better. Your position could be higher. She experiences discontentment. And it's not a coincidence that the first sin is also the first experience of discontentment. Because sin is pursuing, is pursuing an alternate reality than the one that God has established. And what drives you in that alternate reality is discontentment. But she looks at that tree with these hungry eyes now and it's irresistible. And boom, she's in the mammon game. And see, this is, Don Draper gives us the same pitch today. But six to 10,000 times a day. Imagine this. You could have this. Don't be content with what you've got. There's more. You've got to get more. So we're always perpetually hungry, striving after more. So the question is, how do we arrive at a place of contentment, of satisfaction? We're no longer lab rats on a treadmill chasing the ever-elusive cheese of the, of the best life now. Well, we have to find our contentment in God, folks. Because it's not going to be in more stuff. That's the lie of the enemy. Is, oh, you'll have contentment. If only this, if only that, if only you can acquire, if only blah, 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 blah. And you get there, guess what? It satisfies for a moment, but it never lasts. And eventually the moth comes in and the thief comes in. And corruption comes in. And it's gone. And then when you die, it's for sure all gone. How do we find contentment? You can't find it in transitory things. The more of it you have, the more of, it, of, of you it has. And it will leave us perpetually discontent. So how do we find contentment in God? Now, usually at this point, I talk about an imaginative prayer. Because uh, I have found the, the most healing thing in my life and the most powerful thing in my life in terms of getting my life from Christ and my worth and my significance from, from Christ has been through imaginative prayer, where you just surrender your imagination over to the Holy Spirit and, and ask the Holy Spirit to bring you Jesus. That's his job. His job, Jesus, Jesus says, he won't speak of himself, he'll point to me. So he brings us the real Jesus in, in our imagination. It's what the church tradition called the inner sanctum. That's how I usually, at this point, will talk. And I encourage you to be doing that. If you don't know about uh, imaginative prayer and want to find out more about it, uh, I have a book on this called Seeing is Believing. And you can uh, learn about more of it that way. But today, I want to go in a different direction. And I want to share with you what has been 
a very different and very unexpected way that I found in the last nine months in particular of tapping into this contentment, uh, this peace of God, uh, the life that comes from God. Um, I want to read what you one verse, and I'll come back to it after I share kind of my story, but I want to give it to you ahead of time so it's kind of just on your radar screen. It's Philippians chapter 4, where Paul says this, have no anxiety about anything. By the way, he's writing this in prison, facing possible execution. <laughs> kind of frames it a little different. Have no anxiety about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And see, if you do this, the, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And the connotation there is that if you're making prayers and supplications with thanksgiving, your, your heart and your mind will be kept in peace that passes all understanding as you're in Christ Jesus. So Paul is saying, hey, don't be anxious. If you got things in your life that aren't working right or you got troubles or whatever, offer them to God. You got problems, offer them to God. You got loved ones who got problems, offer it to God. Don't, don't, don't try to worry fixing yourself. You offer it up, up to God. But then he adds, if you, when you do that, make sure that you, give, you, you do that with thanksgiving. It has a kind of connotation like this. When you got problems in life, when things aren't working, it's good to talk to God. But don't just talk to God about the negative stuff. Praise God for the good stuff. Whenever you're bringing up the negative, make sure you also bring up the positive. Because otherwise you become a negative-centered prayer and a negative-centered person. James tells us in James 1.17 that every good gift comes from the Father above in whom there's no shadow of turning. He's consistently good. Never, never is there the slightest alteration from his goodness, from his love. His character is invariant. And so all, all that flows from the throne of God is good. He is the goodness of every good gift. The gift may have come to you by sheer luck or somebody gave it to you or others may contribute to it, but ultimately if it wasn't for the good God who's the creator of this world, you wouldn't have that good gift. So it's appropriate to not take anything for granted. Any positive thing you have going on in your life, it's appropriate to give thanks to that for that. And, and, and do that as you're offering up your prayer and supplications. I have, in the last nine months, experienced the truth of this passage to a degree that I've never experienced before. Um, it's the power of, of giving thanks. So I, I, I've shared before uh, several times that I've been in a funky season of life. Um, I mean... <laughs> with the polarization of America and uh, the pandemic that's not quite over yet and World War III knocking on our door, I suppose all of us are kind of going through a funky season in our life right now. So nothing usual about that. But on top of all that, I, I just had so many personal things happening. I, changes. To the point where sometimes I feel like I'm going through adolescence again. You know, it's like, who am I? I got to figure that out. It, it's, it's, it's a very funky time. Part of it's had to do, and I've shared this before, my, my health has kind of deteriorated the last four years. I used to be the epitome of health, and I'm not any longer, and that's been bugging me. Got chronic back pain and can't do competitive sports anymore. So that was kind of a bummer, poo-hoo, blah-blah. But it, it goes way beyond that. Here's, here's one of the most fundamental things that's happened. Ever since 11th grade, when Miss King turned me on to philosophy in my humanities class, I have, I fell in love with reading. I fell in love with reading philosophy and theology. I became obsessed with it. I, and for the last 45, 46 years, a staple of my life has just been immersing myself in academic books. I love reading and I love writing and researching. And I, I, I could go 12 hours straight uh, 
and I didn't notice it. I, time was just, I could, Shelly, my wife, never understood that. You know, she took her a long time in my marriage before she realized that when I'm spending 12 hours in a book, it's not because I'm, you know, not, not in love with her. It's not because I'm mad. I'm not, nothing. I'm having fun. <laughs> that's, that's my version of fun. I wake up in the morning for the last 45 years in three, four o'clock in the morning and, and I can't go back to sleep because I'm just thinking about that, that book I'm reading or the idea that I'm toiling with or the thing that I want to write or whatever. So I've just goodbye on four or five hours sleep. It's always been like that. That's been my normal. But for some reason, and I think it started right after I finished Crucifixion of the Warrior God. It's like I finished this marathon and it was pooped out. I keep waiting to get non-pooped out to get back into it, but it's not happening. It's that academic love has been kind of fading. It surprises the dickens out of me, but... I now read some academic books. I still read some. I just don't read nearly like I used to. And the academic stuff, I, I, it's just not jazzing me. In fact, I, I get bored. I'm reading this stuff, and it just sounds shallow for some reason. And, and after an hour or so, I'm tired, and I, I move on to a novel or something. It's really weird. Um, I fought to hang on to this. Like, I, I got to get back in the game. I got to get back in the game. And uh, several times I've been working on this huge project the last 15, 20 years. I've got a couple hundred pages of it already written and all this research done. And I've been telling people since 2001 that I'm going to publish it. It was going to be called Myth of the Blueprint. Look forward to this book that's going to be coming out. Meantime, I keep on getting distracted and writing other books. But uh, this time I'm going to get at it. I'm going to get this thing published. And I, every time I try to get back into it, it was like, oh, so tiring. So, I, I can't do it. I just, couldn't, I just couldn't get back into it. I finally felt like I have to let this go. I fought it. I was aggravated. I was irritated. How come I'm not? You know, this is just not me. I'm sleeping, I'm sleeping seven, sometimes even eight hours a night, folks. Something's wrong here. I've never done that. I, I, I just am... Uh, but I felt like I was supposed to let it go. I don't know if I'm letting this go permanently or if this is a temporary season I'm in, but, but I just felt like I, I just had to let this go. So I, had, I was under this book contract, and I called up Fortress Press, and I said, sorry, uh, that, I, I don't have any gas for that book right now. I, I, I just run out of gas. I got to buy myself out of this contract because I don't want this. It felt like an albatross hanging around my neck. Oh, I got to get this thing done. I got to get this thing done. I said, I got to lose that. I just got to get rid of that. And the minute I let it go, it felt like I was letting go of a kite in a hurricane. You know, it was like, I was hanging on to it. Like, I, I got to get back into it. And once I let it go, it was like, ah, oh, that felt good. That felt good. It felt weird, really weird. But it felt like it was the right thing to do. And then as I'm, as I'm letting go of this love of academia, I'm finding I'm, I begin to take longer walks with my dog. Um, I always would take her out for you know, two 20-minute walks to, you know, on the block or whatever. But the, the walks start getting longer. Uh, and eventually, we start going out to some trails. And I've told you a little bit about this in the, in the past. I didn't know that we had, within 20, miles, 20 minutes of my house, there's hundreds of beautiful trails. And so we go out almost every day walking on some trails. Um, and we've been doing that for the last nine months. And it's been revolutionizing my spirituality. Um, it's just been making this difference in me. It's, it's like, part of it is just being out in nature. I, I've actually read that, that for a high percentage of people, just being out in nature, getting out in the natural environment, has a soothing, calming effect on us. It's good for us. And so I encourage us as much as possible to take walks out in nature as, as, as much as possible. But it's not just that I'm taking walks in nature. It's how I'm walking. Okay, so for me to be able to go on these walks, now the walks average one, an hour to an hour and a half. 
That's weird because if I stand up, within 10 minutes, my back starts to hurt. But if I'm walking the right way, I can walk for an hour or an hour and a half. Uh, but I have to walk the, walk the right way. I call it, and I've shared this with you before, I chi walking. You know, I, I chi is that discipline, kind of an exercise where you know, people just had these very slow, kind of gradual movements. And actually, I do this sometimes. In stretching, it feels so good to go slow and just kind of like stretch it out. But when I'm walking, I, can't, I don't do it slow, but I, I do try to do it as smooth as I chi. That's why I call it I chi. And the key is, I have to walk in a way that my back doesn't experience any jarring. I have to, I have to walk smooth and I have to float. And, and, and so it's, I feel like I'm kind of like C-3PO on, on, on Star Wars. You know, oh, my master. It's kind of like this. Or it, it, it's like walking across a road barefoot on a hot day. It's like, oh, oh I, I, yeah. And that, that's kind of how I'm walking. So my legs and my feet take up all of the, the, the jar so that my back isn't being jarred. And I can go, if I'm paying attention, an hour, hour and a half, and... Uh, Relatively very little, little back pain. It's also really good for my knees if I do that. If I'm not paying attention, if I let my mind wander, if I'm just kind of fantasizing a dream, whatever, um, within 20 minutes, it starts to ache. Um, so I have to be paying attention to this. I have a mantra that I use to help me focus. And the mantra is simply, I walk, I walk, I chi, I walk pain-free. I walk, I chi, I walk pain-free. And I, I, I just say that mantra. And then I will add onto it, thank you, Lord, for this present moment. Thank you, Lord, for this present I walk, I chi, I walk pain-free. Thank you, Lord, for this present moment. And I'm aware that as I'm going out in nature on these hour, hour and a half walks, that I won't always be able to do this. There'll come a time when I'm going to have to stop. And what, so I cherish it all the more. I want to soak it in. I want to lock it in. I want to just drink it deeply. And so as I'm going on these walks, my whole goal is to appreciate each present moment. I try to put out of my mind uh, any future thoughts, put out of my mind any memory thoughts of the past. Future is nothing, past is nothing. This moment is all that's real, and I want to be as attentive to it as I possibly can. Uh, and, and I do it with, with a sense of appreciation and with gratitude. You could call this maybe gratitude mindfulness or grateful mindfulness. Mindfulness is just the Eastern practice of, of trying to be aware, remaining aware of all that you're experiencing in any given moment. Just be mindful of it without intervening talk or whatever. Just soak it in. Well, that's what I'm doing here, but I'm, I'm doing it moment by moment, but I want to do it with gratitude. Thanking God for every good thing that is part of this present moment. And so I, I will be saying, I walk, I, I walk, I chi, I walk pain-free. Thank you, God, for, for that tree. Uh, that is just a magnificent tree. Thank you for the sound of the wind blowing through these trees. Uh, Lord, thank you for the cuteness of my dog, because my dog is the cutest thing in the world. She's becoming such a great friend. And thank you, God, for those ducks on the pond and the bunny that she gets to chase. That's the cutest thing when she finds a bunny. And um, the bunny, we wouldn't agree with that. But it's, and she, and she's, she's a pacifist. She, she never hurts anyone, but she likes to chase. But, you know, here, here's something. I'll give this free of charge. I've never liked winners very much. I don't hate them as much as my wife does, but I have never liked them much. I've never been an outdoors winter kind of guy. I don't uh, ice skate. I don't ski. Uh, you know, I tried uh, one kind of skiing, uh, cross-country skiing for a while, but eh, kind of boring. I just don't go outside much in the winter, and probably that's true for most of us. This winter, I've been outside every day that weather permits. Almost every day, Gracie and I are out there walking. And, and weather only doesn't permit when it's raining. She doesn't like to go out in the rain. 
but she has no trouble with the cold. If it's, as long as it's above zero, uh, including wind chill, she's good to go. So we're almost always out there. So I've been outdoors 10, 20 times, 30 times more than I ever have before. And I've never loved winter like I have loved this winter. I, I'm just loving it. I, I just, in fact, this is the only winter I've ever loved. <laughs> um, and it has gone so fast. Usually winter's right around this time. It's like, oh, this winter's going on forever. I can't take it. But it, it, this thing just went so fast. Because I'm enjoying it. It's, uh, it. it's been a while. But I thank God for every positive thing that's part of this experience. And, and then I, I, I thank God that I've got eyes that can see this and ears that can hear this and a nose that can smell this and legs that can still walk. And yeah, maybe there's some aches and pains, but I've got a body that still works and I give God thanks for that. Because I won't always have that. And a lot of people don't have it now. I feel so blessed to be able to go out and, 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 and take these walks. And then I, I thank God that I know God as I'm taking these walks. I know that God is love. And so I walk I chi, I walk pain-free. But thank you, God, for being absolute love. And right now I'm walking through the presence of your love. Wherever I go, I'm aware that I'm, I'm, I'm swimming in an ocean of God's love. And so sometimes that will become its own mantra. In, in, in you, I live and move and have my being. In, in God, I live and move and have my being. Sometimes I'll say, in her, I live and move and have my being. Because the pronoun just kind of highlights a different aspect of God's presence. But it's all just beautiful. I say, in that zone. It may sound like that would be pretty boring to just be thinking about one thing for an hour and a half. You know, it, it doesn't get old. And the answer is, yes. <laughs> sometimes it gets boring. But here's what I found. When it's boring, it's not because I'm focusing on one thing. It's because I'm not focusing intently enough on that one thing, giving thanks to God. I find that if I'm fully attentive to the now and giving thanks in the now, it's never boring. It's always exciting. Boredom only comes when you compare moments to moments. But if you lop off the future and lop off the past, you're in the present, and it's always interesting. Check that out. I won't charge you extra for that. That's just... The now is always intrinsically interesting. And, and so what I found in practicing this is I, there's a depth of contentment in my being that has just not been there before. I mean, I've, I've always known the connection between, uh, you know, gratitude and happiness. I've taught on that before. There's a whole science behind that. I just have never applied it so intently in my life. And it's, the difference it's making has is, is just been incredible. Shelly, I mean... She never thought it was possible, but I found yet another way of being an even better husband. It's amazing. <laughs> Hi, Annie. <honey. laughs> no, she loves it. Partly because I don't think she ever got how anyone could be as into books as I was. But I, I, I have more time. I'm spending more time with her. and We're playing games together more and spending more time with, with kids and with grandkids. And, and, and see, the, the, that's part of what I'm thanking God for as I'm out there. I thank God for, for every positive thing. I, I, I then start to thank God for the people in my life, for my wife. And then I think about various details of her, of her life that are positive, And I thank God for those. I thank God for my grandkids and my kids and, and my friends. I have such, such dear friends. I'm so blessed to have friends like that. You know what I found is that the more you thank God for the good things in your life, the more thankful you feel about the good things in your life. It's true. It, it, it creates a snowball, a momentum thing. And I just feel so blessed to have the friends that I have and the family that I have. And I thank God and, 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 and for, for, for the co-workers I have. And as I'm praying, as I'm, as I'm thanking God for each of these groups of people, I usually afterwards will just say a quick prayer for them. Maybe a little blessing. Or if I know there's something going on in their life, I'll just say a quick prayer about that. I make prayers and supplications. But I always do it with thanksgiving. 
And the Thanksgiving leads it, and the Thanksgiving closes it. And I always come back to it. I walk pain-free, and I walk, uh, I walk with Aichi, I walk pain-free. But uh, I, I give thanks for them. We've got the greats team around here, folks. I, it's just, you know, I thank God for Janice and Paul and Ruth and Mary and Charlie. I can't go through all their names, but we've got an incredible staff here, and I, I feel honored to be part of this. So I thank God for that. I do. Staff, you got, I, I thank God for you every day, and I pray for you every day. And I thank God for you guys, uh, for the community of Woodland Hills Church. And I can't, my, my, my appreciation for this community has just gone so off the charts the last couple of years. I, I mainly because, you know, well, every, so many other things are going bad. This is going great. And I'm just loving this. And I feel so honored to be, be, be a part of this community and to be used in this community. And, you know, I, I would say that I, I wouldn't want to pastor any other church but Woodland Hills. But it's a dumb thing to say because there isn't any other church that would have me other than Woodland Hills. So I really appreciate you guys. Honestly, I appreciate your passion, your commitment, willingness to think outside the box. We're learning to love together, right? Learning to love together. I, I, I just love that slogan. And so as I'm giving all this thanks, it, it, I, I just, it, it's chilling me. I, I, I'm just slowing down. And um, I'm just mellower than I used to be. Uh, Shelly loves it. Shelly loves it. Uh, this time I, 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 that I have X to, to, to hang around. What, what, what advantage? What advantage to getting old? And there aren't many. But I, I'm finding that it's getting easier to die to idols. In fact, sometimes the idols will just die for you. <laughs> you know, so, and, 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 and what you find is sometimes you don't realize you have an idol until you get rid of it or until you can't have it anymore. Like, I, I didn't know how much of my own kind of, the way I carry myself, my self-confidence, how much of that was predicated on me having a body that could always do anything I wanted to do. Now that I don't have that, it's like, whoa, I was leaning on that way more than I thought. I was like, I got all my life from Christ. Well, now you kind of get it from your health, too. Uh, you know, and, and so you, you wake up, that's an advantage to dying. Uh, to, to dying. <laughs> to aging. Actually, those two are increasingly... It's the same thing, basically. <laughs> it's just in slow motion. That's all aging is. So, I, 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 I have, feel like I'm dying to another idol. And, and I, as I now in this more quiet state, over the last nine months, from this, it's for nine months almost every day for an hour, hour and a half meditating, that does something to you. And, and, and oh, it's, it's, it's just been... Um, and, and so, so now that I'm in the state, I look back on how I have been in the past. And it's like, man, was I always in a hurry. And, and it, it, but I, I, my motive was godly. I, I, my mission statement has always been, I want to make as qualitative and as quantitative a difference for the kingdom of God as is humanly possible before I die. And that sounds really godly. But as I'm looking back on all this, if I'm honest, and that's the other thing I'm finding with aging, is as I get older and I become more introspective, I'm getting more honest with myself. And as I look back on that, I don't think it was altogether godly. I think there's flesh left up in that. I, I, I was chasing mammon to some degree. I, I don't think if, if you're really in the zone with God, you don't, you, you don't rush. Uh, you, you don't need to. I, I think I was hungry to some degree. That was, that, that was, and it's not pleasant to look at, and I don't like to admit this, but here, here's the thing. I feel grateful that insofar as I was motivated by trying to win at one of the world's games. You know, mammon is any kind of winning in the world's game. And here's one way of winning. Be an academic. Be a smart person. Write books that people respect. Just get some admiration. You know, get some applause. To the degree that I'm doing that, well, I had my reward. To the degree that I'm doing that, I'm cultivating a character that's not compatible with God and will have to be purged from me on that day. 
but I feel grateful that I'm waking up to it now so I can purge it from my life now because the whole New Testament's always saying, better to do it now than have it done on that day. Praise God. So I give God thanks for that, even the new awareness that, 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 that I'm having as I look back on my life. And um, didn't realize it at the time, but sometimes hindsight is 2020. I've never experienced this contentment to the depth that I'm, I'm doing it right now. So here's the thing. I'm, I'm commanding you all to meditate for an hour to an hour and a half a day. All right? There you go. <laughs> give thanks for it. No, listen, there's no rule. I can't give a rule. I can't give a time limit. I'll just say this. Uh, I would encourage all of us to make our prayers and supplications known to God with thanksgiving as much as possible. As much as possible. There's been a ton of studies on this, and I've, I've even talked about some of them before, where they, they've, they've shown that people who practice, who intentionally practice gratitude, it enhances their well-being. This one study, if people, uh, there's two test groups, one group for 20 days, 20 minutes a day, they just wrote all things they were thankful for. 20 days for 20 minutes, and it, that group, as opposed to the group that did not do that, they, their, their, their sense of well-being increased immensely. Make this a regular practice, you guys. And it, 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 fill, it can fill you with a peace and a contentment. It feels so good not to be in want. I'm not hungry for anything. I'm not, I, I, I don't feel like anything could entice me. It's just, there's a contentment that's there. And that is what empowers you to get off the mammon game. Get opt out of the feeding frenzy. Stop being sucked in to, this, to, to mammon's pull. Uh, if ever a people on the planet needed to hear this message, it is us. It is us. Because, folks, we're, we're neck deep in this. Lord, I'm going to end with this prayer, and then I'll make a few announcements. Lord, open our eyes to see what's real. Thank you for loving us unconditionally, which gives us the grace, space to be real and to be honest with what is true in our life. And by looking at what's true in our life now, we can modify it so that when it's and come upon that day, what is true in our life will be something that we'll not be ashamed of, something that would be gold, silver, precious stone, that would be purified instead of being dross, that would be burned away. Oh Lord, open our eyes to see this and make the necessary adjustments. Fill our hearts with gratitude for one another and for every good thing in our life, for it ultimately comes from you, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said... Amen, amen. We've got prayer available, whether you're uh, watching through uh, the internet or whether you're here. Um, come up front or get online and, and get prayer for whatever it is that you uh, need, need prayer for. Don't forget we have uh, the MuseCast on Tuesdays at 4.30. Is that right? Okay, and we have gathering groups. Really encourage you to try, check out the gathering groups. People are making great friends on, on there, and he, each of those goes deeper with the message um, that was preached the week before. And if you're going to be here next week, and it is good to see more people coming here, please let us know if you have children so that we can have enough children's workers to take care of your kiddos. God bless you guys. I love you. I appreciate you. I'm thankful for you. Go out and love on the world.